Welcome to this pod, uh, BTOG podcast series. Uh, my name is Helen McDill and I'm the respiratory trainee representative on the British Thoracic Oncology Group Steering Committee. Uh, I'm also a respiratory senior registrar uh, training in the Peninsula Southwest Deanery uh, with a specialist interest in lung cancer. This is a part of a regular podcast series entitled BTOG Does where we have an informal chat with experts in their field and we tackle the most important questions we will face in the diagnosis uh, and treatment of thoracic cancers. Before we start, it's important for me to say sponsors of BTOG do not have any role whatsoever in the planning, content or delivery of anything that we discuss today. So this week, I'm delighted to be joined by one of my colleagues, Dr. Matthew Everson, who is a uh, respiratory consultant physician at Withenshaw Hospital uh, in Manchester. He is the director of the Lung Pathway Board and also the clinical lead uh, for the CURE program for Greater Manchester, and also the clinical lead for Making Smoking History campaign as well, which we can talk a bit more uh, about through the podcast today. Uh, in addition, he's also a member of a British Thoracic Society Specialist Advisory Group for Tobacco uh, Addiction and Plural Disease, and also a fellow member of the British Thoracic Oncology Group Steering Committee. Uh, so, Matt, welcome to BTOG Does Podcast Series today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. Thank you very much for being here today. Uh, so uh, this podcast is entitled BTOG Does Kind of the Cure Programme and Tobacco Addiction, which I know is a, a subject very close to, to your heart and you're going to tell us all about uh, the programme uh, in Greater Manchester today. Um, so just to kind of start us off uh, as an introduction, uh, I think it'd be helpful if you don't mind telling us a bit about the kind of scale of the tobacco problem in the UK, and I guess hence why the Cure programme is so important, uh, especially in relation to kind of the recent NICE guidelines that have just come out. Yeah, sure. Um, it's really hard to put into words the scale of the tragedy and to do it justice, um, because Tobacco is this incredibly unique product that causes more harm and devastation than anything else known to man. <laughs> uh, there, there, there's no, there is no consumable product, consumer product out there that if you take it exactly as intended, it leads to your death. It's, it's entirely unique in the scale of harm that this has caused. So in the last 50 years, tobacco has killed uh, around 8 million people. And that it's, it's, a, it's a bit like talking in monopoly money. It's very hard to try and put that into, into scale. And if we don't do something about that, it will kill another 2 million in the coming 50 years. Um, and that um, as as tragic and awful as the COVID-19 pandemic has been, does not come anywhere close to the tragedy and impact uh, of the uh, tobacco pandemic. Um, so in the UK, there's around 6 million smokers. And um, it, so much effort and work has gone into reducing the prevalence of smoking. We're at the lowest smoking level since the peak of this tobacco pandemic. But, but largely that is because of reducing uptake. And actually our most critical, if we're going to stop those 2 million people from dying, it's about stopping the people that currently smoke, helping the people that currently smoke to stop. 
Uh, and it absolutely drives um, the, the reason why the most poorest members of our society die earlier than the most affluent members of society. Tobacco drives the social inequality. Um, and if we think COVID has exposed this, the, the social inequality that exists in our society, uh, tobacco drives that gap. Um, and it's, it, co it, it costs the healthcare system more than anything else. So two billion pounds a year, it costs the healthcare system. Again, it's hard, you can't really put that into, into you can't contextualize that. Um, but at a time when the NHS is under more strain than ever before, if we didn't have the diseases of tobacco, this man-made tragedy, um, where we could, uh, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now. Like you said it, it, it's hard to quantify kind of the, the scale, isn't it, of the, yeah. the devastation yeah. uh, of it, um, and and really thinking about how we can tackle and, and yeah. treat it. Um, but uh, and I think if we always bear, whatever we say today, we bear in mind tobacco is the single biggest cause of preventable death, illness, disability, social inequality, and it's the most cost-effective intervention to treat. It's incredibly cheap to provide very effective treatments for this, the most horrible disease that faces our society. And the tragedy is there is not the access to those treatments for our patients that have that disease. And I, I guess kind of nicely leading into that, that Matt, what, what, do you want to explain a little bit about kind of the CURE project, um, what, what your team has set up in Greater Manchester to, to try and tackle, tackle this huge problem? Yeah, um, so um, I've always said that CURE successfully reinvented the wheel in that it isn't, this is, it isn't anything new. We have established very, very effective treatments for tobacco dependency. Uh, there, in fact, uh, currently we've got more treatments than ever before. And hospitals have a huge footfall of smokers because smokers are often sick. Um, what I meant to say earlier about the scale of the tragedy, there's a one in two smokers half of all people that smoke will die prematurely because they smoke. Nothing else has that kind of figure. And so in a hospital, there's, there's 20,000 smokers in a hospital bed on any given day of any given year and over a million smokers admitted to hospital over the course of the year. So if you were going to focus an area where you can try and provide access to these really effective treatments, the hospital ground is, is a really important place to do it. Um, and that's what cure has been about, uh, because despite everything I've said, the provision of, of these treatments for tobacco dependency on hospital grounds has been woefully inadequate for years uh, and the British Thoracic Society have been exposing this for several years in a national audit that show a tiny tiny fraction of smokers admitted to hospital uh, get access to the people that can help them to stop and access to these really effective treatments so cure has been our way of trying to tackle that tragedy right the wrongs of the past and actually maximize this huge opportunity we have and it, the, the program has been a, a reflection, I think, of my own personal journey in this, in that, you know, three, four, five years ago, if you'd have said to me, you know, what, you know, do you tackle 
this huge problem of tobacco dependency. I would have said, I would have looked one in the eye and said, yeah, 100%, I'm a lung cancer physician. So it's really important to me. I'm really passionate about it. I always ask people if they smoke and if they do, I tell them to stop and kind of almost patted myself on the back for that. And I look back and see that as a, as a negligent, not maximize, not providing patients that smoke that came across my uh, service with these treatments. So cure has been about medicalizing this, uh, moving away from the lifestyle choice of smoking to the disease of tobacco dependency, tobacco addiction, whatever you want to call it. And as soon as you start to think about it as a chronic disease, it brings in all the clinicians across a hospital field. Smoking affects every organ of the body, every system of the body. There's no part of the hospital where you don't see smokers. So every clinician has the ability to identify and to treat this disease. So Cure has been about educating clinicians, empowering them with the knowledge that it takes to treat this condition, how to prescribe, how to, what treatments there are, so that at the front door, we are identifying all current smokers at the point of admission, and we're starting them on treatment. And then we also uh, develop a specialist team because the behavioral change support that is needed to tackle this very embedded habit is absolutely critical. So they can get support during their admission and whatever we start, whatever treatment plan we start in the hospital, we need to continue after they're discharged. And it's that simple. We've just not done it well in the past and not done it at scale. And as, as you kind of talked about um, quite, quite a lot, uh, clearly one of the key components of, of CURE is kind of evidence-based treatments, pharmacotherapy treatments for tobacco yeah. addiction. Um, just for people who maybe aren't as familiar with prescribing, yeah. mind explaining just a little bit about what the treatments we should be prescribing really for, for any, like you said, physician who's seeing these patients. Yeah, absolutely. So number one, is this eye-opening fact that uh, sometimes clinicians aren't aware of, very, very often those that smoke aren't aware of, uh, that nicotine is the, is the addictive substance in cigarettes. It acts in the brain uh, on a nicotine receptor in the brain to cause the release of a hormone called dopamine, and that's a positive uh, feel-good or calming hormone. And um, When the brain is repeatedly exposed to nicotine, it upregulates the number of nicotine receptors in the brain that become hyperexcitable and you become dependent on nicotine. And without it, you suffer the symptoms of withdrawal. And that is the process of chemical dependency. So it is a pathological process and it's a disease process. But nicotine does not cause the harm that we have talked about. It is not the cause of death. It is not the cause of illness not the cause of cancer, not the cause of cardiovascular disease, not the cause of strokes. I could go on and on and on and on. The cause of that illness is tobacco. And when you burn tobacco at about 800 degrees, when you light tobacco, it creates a toxic fume of chemicals, about 5,000 of them, of carcinogens, of damaging products, and they cause all the harm. And what a really important mind shift is that we are not... Uh, when nicotine is not a major public health concern, we are not treating nicotine dependency. We are treating tobacco dependency and we want a world free of tobacco. That simple statement can change how people address this. It can open a smoker's eyes to it because you can give nicotine in a different way. 
So one strategy is to give nicotine replacement. And you can give that in a patch, which gives a slow release of nicotine through the skin alongside a very short acting, quick acting nicotine. And that's combination nicotine replacement therapy. It has to be given in combination. And what we have to understand is that, so a lot of people say, I've tried patches, they don't work. A cigarette is such a powerful nicotine delivery device. The tobacco industry have, um, have honed the chemistry to deliver nicotine better than anything else. So a patch and a gum struggle to give the same dose as a cigarette. Now, once we appreciate that nicotine is harmless effectively, you can't overdose on nicotine. You can underdose and, not, uh, and risk relapsing to cigarettes. So you have to give the highest strength patch, the highest strength short-acting nicotine. Uh, and the, the patient has to know they can take that short-acting nicotine as much as they need. I use the phrase on the hour, every hour, when they're first trying to stop. And any time they need it on top of there, there is not a top limit. And they have to know, know how to use it. So really popular short-acting nicotine is the inhalator, which is a terrible name because you don't inhale. It's absorbed through the gums. So they have to puff on it to get the liquid into their mouths and they have to let it rest and absorb. If they swallow it, they'll get heartburn and they don't inhale it. If they don't know that we have to have the skills to say, this is how you use this. It's a treatment. It's a prescription. We counsel them about how to use it exactly as we would any other medication. Um, sorry, go on. I was just going to kind of pick on that point, Matt, saying clearly kind of a key element is, is engaging and training staff, not just within the spiritual, yeah. but the, the whole hospital, your acute physicians and, and, and every physician. How, yeah. how have you kind of achieved that um, through the CURE project to get people prescribing and engaging? Well, we've got this completely wrong as a medical community. So we've said this is the single most uh, destructive disease of our society yet it is not on the medical school curriculum. This should be week one, day one topic. Every single person going through medical school has a core understanding of tobacco dependency and its treatment so that it infiltrates into every part of medical care. We don't do it. Junior doctor training, middle grade training, consultant training. You look at the curriculum of what it takes to be a respiratory consultant it does not include the skills of being able to prescribe for tobacco dependency. That has to change. And Cure, we've had to go out and train. So we have e-learning modules on exactly these topics uh, that everyone has to complete um, and to do training sessions in every forum, foundation year training and direct divisional training, directorate training, wherever you can get in, induction days, because it's an easy thing to teach and everybody wants to learn it because we've all been in the place where you think, I've got, I've got to talk about smoking with this person and I feel nervous about it. I feel apprehensive about it because they're going to tell me they don't want to stop or they can't stop. And I don't know how to come back at that. But if you have the skills to say, well, listen, this is about, it's not, nicotine is what, you, what you're craving. Nicotine isn't harming you. All this harm, the reason why you're unwell is because of inhaling all of those products from tobacco. If we can get you enough nicotine so that you don't crave the cigarettes, we can crack this. And this doesn't become then about that person's willpower to stop or they're not strong enough if they don't stop. This is a medical problem that has medical treatments. And I've only talked about NRT, which is one treatment strategy. 
vaping is improving incredibly effective at helping people to stop smoking because it's the one form of NRT that people inhale and it uses alveolar absorption for the nicotine. It's the one thing that can get close to the dose of nicotine of cigarette. Um, and it's, it's another form of, of, in our armory. It's another part of treatment. There are medications that actually break the addiction to nicotine in the brain. Vereniclin and Champix, one of the most effective things that we've got because it blocks the, the nicotine receptor in the brain. It actually separates the action and reward of this really deep-seated habit. And so for this horrible disease causing more damage than anything else, and we've got a series of treatments with a huge evidence base behind them and a huge population in the hospital cohort, all those things should match up so that every single smoker is getting access to all these medications, yet nobody does. And that's what we've got to overcome at scale across the country. And in terms of what, what you've achieved in, in Greater Manchester, obviously kind of rolling out Cure and, and the team behind it, uh, what are your kind of headline summary results for other teams to kind of pick up on uh, in terms of ability, oh, uptake, impact? Yeah. Uh, not easy to summarize quickly, I know. <laughs> um, one is it works. So it works. And we've published the outcomes that if you do this well, uh, we know our program helps one in five of all smokers admitted to the hospital, of all smokers, not just the ones that get help. So of all smokers that are admitted, one in five uh, are long-term quitters when they're offered support and not in that hospital setting and continue to get support afterwards. Uh, and it's incredibly cost-effective. And we've just published a paper around um, about the return on investment on public health is £30 for every £1 invested with a cost per quality of £487. There just aren't healthcare interventions that deliver that kind of clinical effectiveness and cost effectiveness together. So the evidence of doing it is there. The how uh, comes down to approaching this as a a an entire hospital system. So you, and it's got its component parts of training your workforce to be able to deliver front door interventions when that smoker hits the hospital. Good advice. Nicotine is harmless. It's not causing the harm. That, every, every single smoker needs to hear that message uh, and access to, the, uh, to, to highly effective treatments. It needs IT systems to support the program. So we have to be electronically recording the smoking status of every single patient that's admitted to the hospital because then you can offer an opt-out system. This is how we do it. It's electronically recorded. As soon as it's recorded that that person's a current smoker gets sent to our cure team. And then you approach every smoker and say, we are the specialist stop smoking team. We're here to help. And you get an uptake of about two thirds of smokers when you do it that way. So you need a team big enough to be able to cope with the volume of work that does that. Uh, you need standardization of care across the hospital. So you need a prescribing protocol that says, this is how you prescribe NRT. This is how you prescribe vereniclin. Uh, make it standardized, make it protocolized because doctors can follow those protocols. Um, and you need a discharge pathway. And that is, that's where it's really, really hard. I, I've been absolutely amazed at the complexity of tobacco commissioning and services. When you look at things, I, we're looking at things, Greater Manchester as a whole, when you've got the NHS 
funding hospital services, but local authorities through public health grants funding community stop smoking services and how people transfer seamlessly through those with community pharmacies offering, with GPs, this so complex to figure out an effective discharge pathway afterwards to continue that support. I think that's the, that's the biggest challenge, but it's doable. You've got to do just do it as a system-wide approach. And I, I guess kind of thinking a, a, about the future, really, I mean, do you see kind of cure this, this pathway you, you've set up um, really being implemented across all NHS trusts? That's what we should be working towards with all of our CCGs. Oh, 100%. And it's happening because the long term plan committed to funding tobacco dependency treatment in hospitals by 23, 24. So there is national funding for every single hospital. Now that doesn't have to be, you don't have to call it cure. You know, that's just the program we've developed. Uh, uh, in Yorkshire, there's the QUIT program. There are new, they, everyone's doing it. It's all the same components of how you do it well and you do it at scale. As I say, it's successfully reinventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. We've got really effective treatments. We know what we need to do to help a smoker to stop. You've just got to put the system in place that that delivers on those things I've described, hospital wide, opt out, all available treatments, specialist behavioral support, discharge pathway, all those things. So you, you just you need a task and finish group that can influence a hospital wide culture and, and deliver on those things. So it, every hospital has the challenge. It's not now a should we, should we not? The evidence is there and the NHS is funding it. It's about implementation. As I say, the discharge pathway is a challenge. It's why you've got to get all the right people around the table to be able to deliver that effectively. But it's doable. It really is doable. And the impact is as hard as it's to put into words the impact of the tragedy. It's hard to put into words the scale of benefit of doing this. Great. Uh, thank you so much, Matt. I think that's been a, a truly fantastic summary of kind of what you've achieved in Greater Manchester and given a vision of what the rest of us should all be aiming to achieve uh, and explain some of the kind of the chief key challenges uh, within that uh, as well around tobacco addiction um, and, and the cure program. Thank you everyone for listening to today. Hopefully that's given you an insight into, into the Cure Prog Programme and tobacco addiction. Uh, for more information on BTOG, including more educational events, uh, podcasts and how to become a member, uh, please visit the website at www.btog.org. Uh, thank you for your attention and we'll be bringing more uh, podcasts to, to you soon. Goodbye.